You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Monster House presents. Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Home of such shows as Food with Mark Bittman, Big Picture Science, and fork in the road. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Visit monstertalk.org forward slash support, where you can find even more ways to help keep this show going. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. If you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, you probably ran across Kobolds, which the 5th edition systems reference document describes as follows. Kobold. This short reptilian humanoid has scaled skin, a snout filled with tiny teeth, and a long tail. Previous Monster Talk guest Peter Biebergall edited a volume called Appendix N, which collects many of the sources of fiction that inspired Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson when they created the game Dungeons & Dragons. But that game also famously grabbed every bit of folklore and fandom it could reasonably snag, so that you run into Egyptian gods and Celtic ghosts and Lovecraftian horrors and even dinosaurs at the same gaming table. But the real folklore of kobolds and other Germanic fae is a lot more interesting than Dungeons & Dragons 25 XP barely intelligent lizard people. We're going to be talking to Florian Schaefer, the artist and project lead on a new book called Hausgeister. In this beautiful book, Schaefer's handcrafted monster sculpts are photographed in realistic settings and accompanied by a text which provides details about the lore. The book also includes one of my very favorite things in a monster book, essays from academics of multiple disciplines who give commentary on these creatures to form a holistic analysis of their importance. It's really good stuff. The book drops at the end of July, but it's available for pre-order immediately. There's a link in the show notes to that. But now, let's travel to Germany and have ourselves some Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, Florian Schaefer. Uh, Florian is a artist and a biologist and is the creator of all of the artistic models of German folklore figures that appear in this book that we're going to be talking about today, Hausgeister. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I am excited to talk to you. This was amazing work. I've got several friends who do arts and crafts, and my, my children love to make things. Um, and so I'm envious of your talent, but uh, this is also mm. just a wonderful book covering this material academically, intellectually, folklorically, historically. It's a lot crammed into what otherwise might look like just an average coffee table art book. It's a lot. I'm impressed. Thanks a lot for your kind words. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did you get involved with this project? Yeah, I started sculpting, I guess, five years ago, around 2017. And uh, I was sitting in front of my table and was thinking what could I sculpt? And I thought, ah, let's do a cobalt. But what does a cobalt look like? And I started because I have a really strong fantasy background. So I started reading fantasy literature uh, in my childhood. And uh, if you know Dungeons and Dragons, for example, there are kobolds, but they are like lizard people or something like that. And I remembered that and thought, no, but that can't be the truth. And mm -hmm. I started looking into the literature and uh, I found completely different descriptions in the old folk tales of Germany and uh, I thought okay let's start with that and beginning with this uh, it started to grow bigger and I started to post uh, some of my creations on the internet and people said oh that's that's a nice topic folklore uh, related creatures but uh, in a modern way yeah so uh, I gave the whole thing a name and uh, forgotten creatures uh, yeah became a brand Nice. <laughs> yeah, it is just such a beautiful book, and uh, I really enjoyed looking through it. And my son, he's eight years old, he is really enjoying the book as well. And uh, so, we'd like to start by talking about some German ghosts. And I think there's a lot of overlapping with uh, Anglophone culture as well. But Definitely, some of these, yeah. yeah, but some of these spirits I haven't heard of. So, you mentioned the kobold. Could you tell us a little bit about? Uh, you mentioned a bit about what it looks like, what it does, and uh, just some of the folklore behind this this creature or character. Yeah, so if we want to look into the folklore of the kobold, we can go quite a lot back in time to medieval times or even earlier because uh, people, when um, living in houses in early German-speaking countries during uh, the Middle Ages, people thought that per a person who builds a house and then dies in it, becomes some kind of Asian spirit um, who preserves the household. And mm -hmm. this may be the origin of the kobold. And during the medieval times and, and early modern times, the church was not really, um, yeah, they did not like that people believed in other spirits or uh, in, in dead people preserving households or something like that. Though so they started to change those legends around these creatures. And um, in this time, this spirit, this former bodiless spirit became something small, like a small human-shaped creature living close to the oven and uh, doing pranks to people. But originally yeah. speaking, these pranks were not really pranks. They were punishments for people who did not do their job right. Um, and with the influence of the church, this changed and uh, the kobold turned into something like a little devil. 
Mm. And yeah, I think in, in other cultures we have uh, the brownie, the pook or other um, creatures who are pretty similar to the kobold. Uh, but this is the, the yeah original German word for this creature. Yeah. Do, do you think that the, the shrinking of their physical form represents like the metaphorical intent of the church to shrink their importance? I think both of the church, but also the the normal people on the countryside, because it's it's like uh, the name cobalt derives from um, uh, yeah the house or someone who lives in a house, but in a small way. So mm. uh, by by using a taboo name or a shrinking word, you can shrink the power of a creature as well. So that's a quite common folk belief uh, in in UK as well. They talk about the little people or something like that, not because they're always depicted or imagined small, but by calling them small, you may yeah shrink their power on you. See. Neat. Yeah. Well, the book itself... Uh, again, it's full of art from your work in sculpting, but it's also mm-hmm. full of really informative historical and cultural narrative. Where does this lore come from? What what are the sources that you guys used? Yeah, the main sources are not as old as I would like them to be, uh, because most folk tales uh, in in Europe were written down in in nineteenth century or in early twentieth century by famous people like the Brother Grimm's, but also there were quite a lot of other people who started um, to to collect those tales and uh, to write formally oral um, yeah, tales on paper. Mm-hmm. But we also have uh, older evidence. We have some kind of uh, documents from witch trials. Also, we have medieval manuscripts and even ancient literature from from Greece or uh, the Roman Empire. And uh, if you go back in time, it's pretty hard to find real uh, evidence on folk beliefs, but you find some of them. But the main corpus, the main resources we used for this book come from yeah, early modern times. I would love to talk about a very famous German spirit. So the the poltergeist. Uh, the poltergeist is very famous, very popular in Anglo culture. And I'm wondering, is there any difference between the, the poltergeist in German folklore and Anglo culture? And, and how did poltergeist become so famous and popular in Anglo culture? That's a pretty good question, and we're covering that in the book as well, because um, we have a small section in the book where we invited scientists from different fields to write something about how they are or they f- their field is connected to to um, Hausgeister. And mm-hmm. we talked to a psychologist, and... During the talk with him, we really saw that the poltergeist in some way is the same as the cobalt. Because when people stopped believing or talking about the cobalt in the 17th and 18th century, the poltergeist phenomena started. And if you look into the folk tales, what a cobalt does is exactly the same what the poltergeist does. So maybe people started, and and they're both 
ghosts of dead people in most folktales who, who state uh, the origin of a kobold. There are always different stories, but uh, if you would count the number of folktales describing the kobold as a ghost, as a spirit of a, of a deceased, of a dead one, it would be around 70-75%. So the poltergeist is, in, is, a, is a person who stays in the house and does in in some way they are doing pranks on on people if you look into the folk tales uh, the later folk tales um always describe a kobold as a really noisy one you hear Lotha, you hear him knocking on doors behind walls they uh, take tables or other inventory of your house and pull it away and that stuff so it's pretty similar to to the yeah. poltergeist descriptions and uh, yeah that's quite an interesting take because um the the psychologist we talked to said that he believes that in medieval times as well in modern times around 20 to 30 percent of humankind believed in supernatural entities and this did not change throughout the years, just how those magical descriptions were depicted changed. So with uh, um, the 18th century, maybe the, the traditional ghosts and spirits disappeared, but people invented new forms of describing their fears and, and other yeah, emotions. The knocking... Uh is so interesting because it appears in so many different folklores. Uh, yeah. I, I think and spiritualism. Like, yeah. And, and yes. And, and it's also on uh, the Tommyknockers, uh, which are, I guess, a Cornish mm -hmm. uh, folklore about m mining spirits. And then is it the Klabautermann? Is that the, the naval one? Is, or am I remembering that right? Is that? Which is the spirit that lives on boats and lets you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the Klabautermann. And yes. that that one also, you want to hear the knocking, you want to hear the creaking and the knocking to know they're there, which I thought was really interesting. I, I was I was a sailor long ago, and oh. uh, I I remember lots of ghost stories, but I don't remember anything like that from uh, my time in the navy. But I I got to thinking, you would only want the, they a ship won't sink if you've got one of those on board, right? So you wouldn't want them on a on a yeah. submarine. But exactly. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> They're kind of cute, these ones. They are. They are. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about the folklore about that one, the Club Alterman? So they are also close to, to the um, kobold, like the kobold of a ship. And uh, most of the time, people thought of them as little sailors who lived uh, in the front part of the ship. Between, so and now my, my English ship vocabulary is not that great. So between the outer and the inner hall and there inside, it, this, this small guy would live and normally wouldn't show himself to, to the sailors. And uh, folklore says that if you see a club outer, the ship will really, really fast sink. And normally he just shows himself to the captain and warns him that something bad is going to happen. Uh, and in all other times when everything is fine, you will just hear him knocking, repairing areas of the ship the sailors couldn't reach. That is fantastic. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that's so interesting because when you think about uh, knocking with poltergeist or in Anglo culture anyway, they're trying yeah. to communicate or something like that, not trying to fix things. <laughs> that's true. That's a little bit different and mostly it's more, yeah, yeah maybe dangerous or some. So it's it's not uh, yes. something positive most of the time mm -hmm. if, you, if you hear them. Uh, so, so many different uh, creatures and characters and, and monsters and demons in this book. What's the, the witch tell? Is that because it sounds like, oh, it's a witch, but yeah. isn't this more of a kind of gnome or a dwarf? Um, you're talking maybe about the moss people of, of German folklore. Um, they are typically depicted in two different ways, either as a really old looking, really small woman. Or as a woman or people with hair like or hair like moss and lichens on and skin like tree bark. So these are two different depictions. But yeah, if you uh, look into what they are doing, they are identical. They're living in the bigger rests of forest in in German German speaking area and typically they are um, a really small culture of, of most people though there are both female and males but in the society of the most people males are not really important it's a little bit different than in our society for a long time and in these folk tales always the female ones come to people because they maybe have um, a problem or something like that or they are hunted by the wild hunt and search for for someone who rescues them and in those okay. cases they get in contact with with humans and if they help them they sometimes follow them into the house and turn into household spirits for some time and especially harvesting ghosts who who help to improve yeah harvesting stuff and this yeah okay and so with their uh depiction of the way that they look are they a little comparable to the idea in English of, of a crone or a hag or maybe even a, a cunning woman? So in German folklore, we have witches as well. Um, maybe okay. a little bit, but they are always depicted as quite friend friendly as long as you help them. If you are not nice to them, they will. They can turn pretty dark as well. But mm -hmm. in most folk tales. People are a little bit scared, decide to help them. And uh, after they help the moss women, uh, typically they uh, have some kind of present like old leaves. People are annoyed and throw the leaves away. And when they're back home, there's just one leaf on their clothes and they and it turned into gold. And they recognize, oh, what have I done? Return to the forest, but all the leaves are gone. That's the typical story around those creatures. And they're not like um, the, the typical UK hag in, in swarms or something like that, draw, uh, getting kids into the water and eating them or something like that. They are mm -hmm. totally friendly and living together with their uh, not as important uh, moss men and doing also weddings and stuff uh, so there's some descriptions on their social society and folk tales in between the lines ah, i see yeah 
I yeah, like. it's pretty interesting because I, I don't know so much other descriptions of similar creatures. Mm -mm. Maybe it's some kind of German take on on elves and and uh, other Very more fairy-like creatures. Because originally in our folk text we don't have fairies and and elves like in in English or French mythology. Yeah, it, it sounds mm -hmm. a bit like the uh, the Greek. Uh, dryads and, yeah a little bit and yeah. also the the eastern european baltic region has the zena which is a spirit of a glade i guess yeah yeah a bit like that and but. and the, and that's a good point because there is uh, there are some folk tales stating that they are connected to trees and if you damage the tree you damage the life of the moss women as well so yeah there is a mm. uh, definitely a connection to the the ancient mythology that was transformed into into this more, more modern with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, Monster Talkers. We'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation. And it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband, and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorn, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff. To Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, was it an accident? Or was it murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Folk tales. Yeah, that's neat. It's it, in, the, in the art that accompanies, it's also very impressive. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I read in here that totally surprised me that I hadn't run into it before was the house drake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I had never heard of this folklore before, and I'm always excited when I hear something new. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about house drakes? <laughs> So yeah, it's it's some, it's even in German a little bit uh, weird because they call it a dragon, so a Drache in in mm -hmm. German, but 
it is not really a dragon like we know it from mythology. It's some kind of fiery creature made of fire, and there are quite a lot of different depictions. Sometimes it's like a fireball with eyes or horns who comes into households if you are able to control one. So witches uh, were said to have the power to control uh, a drag, a house drag, and they would use these creatures to collect money, milk or grain from other households and they would fly mm. through the chimney, get everything from the neighbors and then bring it back to you. Wow. <laughs> like a Robin Hood. It wasn't yeah, the officer, it was my house coming. dragon. He stole everything. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we really have we really have um documents from witch trials where people were asked were you able to summon a house drug and uh, used him to get money from your neighbors or something like that there are not that many but there are some and the problem of the name is uh, definitely there because you have a lot of contamination between the different folklore species mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, there's also there are some folk tales who mix that up. And in Saxony, for example, you can't um, differentiate between the kobold and the drag because they merged them together in, in one species. I see. Hmm. In, other, in other areas, you definitely have a kobold lore, but also the drag, who may sometimes appear as a chicken as well, because all these creatures always can transform their appearance. But normally the house drag is no serpent, no dragon-like creature, um, but the name is closely related. So during old mm. times, people mixed it up, and sometimes they are as described as a dragon-like creature. But in most folk tales, they are like meteors or something like that. And this is also an explanation for this kind of uh, phenomena that people saw stars on on the sky or other meteor phenomena and used these to form some kind of folklore creature as well. And especially in times when people had no money and uh, um, really bad time, no, no harvest success, they started to blame each each other. It's a typical thing we we see in uh, a lot of bad times, and this was the yeah the period of those creatures like like the mm-hmm. drag. Because people started to to search for explanations why uh, the grass of the neighbor is greener than theirs. Yeah, right. yeah, it's really interesting. Oh, even I did. I was going to say. So it sounds like Drac, but it's not really a dragon. It's more like a. I guess we modern we would say something like a fire elemental or a fire spirit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more like something that. Something like so. that. Yeah, very neat. Um, sorry, go ahead, Karen. A lot of similarities and crossover. I was just going to say that it's just really interesting to hear about uh, just the the descriptions of these uh, creatures and and how they're very much of their time very much a time where people were farming and agriculture and and uh, just misfortune and the kinds of problems that people would have. Uh, it's just interesting how it reflects that, that culture of the past. Yes. But I wanted to ask you about uh, house demons. Now, are they is there overlapping with the, the kobolds uh, and the, the poltergeist or is this something different? 
it's definitely overlapping and that's because of uh, yeah the the church fighting folk belief because originally speaking um if i look into the folk tales of german german areas there are no really bad entities because all these creatures have a positive and a negative side but when mm-hmm. the so-called interpretatio christiana so the interpretation the christian interpretation of the of the churches started they turned all of these creatures more or less into demon versions mm-hmm. but when we talk about mm-hmm. demons the original word demon is is not really negative it's just our modern church influence point of view i don't want a church bashing all the time uh it's it's really good that we had the church because they were the people who start writing down stuff without the church we wouldn't know anything about the past because the early names we have for example of the cobalt from the 12th century but also earlier ones were all noted down by monks who started to translate ancient literature into german and they described in um, in in these documents that they discovered uh, uh, similar stuff in the local people and um, then you can see that they may, made notes on the side of manuscripts and those are really helpful to to get something to know from these old times because the the people on the countryside they had why would they write something down most of them were not able to write and even even later they had no time for that they had to work and they started to to tell stories orally but the church with all their monks and priests they had pretty much time and uh, yeah they used the written word so Mm. nearly everything we know even from norse folklore is based on on christian interpretation even the edda is Christian in, uh, influenced, written down by a Christian guy. So yeah, I I don't like it when people start to 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 uh, yeah do church and and uh, bashing on Christians all the time and say ah without them there would be all, all the old knowledge and stuff. I I fear it wouldn't because all the other yeah, people got- not wrote wrote down anything. We can thank them for that. <laughs> at, at least, at least. There is not that much we can then thank for, but yeah. <laughs> Pretty buildings. From a historical <laughs> point of view. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, now, well, there's, we have a couple more monsters we'd like to talk about, but the, uh, or I should say, house spirits. Uh, the, this one's really interesting because it's got a bunch of different names. The Gelbin line. Um, it, but ah. I... I have to say the name I liked the most was Goldscheisse, which I think if am I right that basically means it poops gold, right? I think yeah, yeah. I love it. It's the gold pooper. I need one of those. Yeah. But it, it reminds me of a mandrake. It's 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 it, it's like it a, a, a man-shaped root. This talk about this for us. So yeah, the um we can do small German lesson. It's Geldmännlein. <laughs> Nice. Okay. And um, it's like money man, little money man. Nice. If you translate it literally. And um, the folklore around these creatures is based on the mandrake. 
So the the myth oh, okay. there you behind go. the yeah. mandrake is really really old. We can go back to ancient Egypt or even look into the Bible and all that stuff. We really find a lot of folklore and mythology around the mandrake. And in in German speaking areas, the human-shaped plant transformed in some way to a plant-shaped human creature. And um, they imagined that you had to harvest those Geldmännlein or mandrakes in a really special way. They normally grew under um, or at places where you would hang people. Yeah, the gallows or the gym. The gallows, yeah. 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 So yeah. they would grow yeah. under That's a gallow <laughs> uh, because the the semen of a of a guy who was uh, murdered at the gallow would get to the ground and then the, from this semen a mandrake or a, a, a spirit would grow. And mm. in there it is the same as the normal mandrake folklore. If you get it out of the of the earth it will start to scream and that can immediately kill you and uh, the folk tales in in germany are not that animal friendly because they don't say put something in your ear they say take a black dog and put him on a leash and then uh, you can just use the dog and give take some treat and throw it away and the dog will pull the mandrake out die and you can then take the mandrake it's a bit dark. It is. Now a day <laughs> wow. point of view. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they stated in several folk tales. So and if you get the mantrake from the ground, then the process of turning it into a money man starts and you yeah, some kind of you create small clothes for him and put him into a box and give him wine and sometimes bath him in water and milk and it will grow and then produce money for you in some folktales you have to give him one coin and later the day it will turn into two coins uh, in others they start from themselves to yeah create gold but uh, in some way you get rich using such a small money man well mm. in, in a very literal sense if your book makes money you it, it works what <laughs> <laughs> I see him right there on the page. You made him, and then you get some money. That'll be great. There you go. Yeah, in some way, that's true. That's true. But um, there is a problem around the Geldman line because if you use him, your soul is tormented. So if you own a money oh. man when you die, you go to hell. Oh. And here the church again comes into the game because they, yeah, they couldn't change people's mind and just rid out the belief in mandrakes. So they started to change the story slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you got this twist. So, yeah, you're really, really old and you want to get the money man away. But it's not that easy. You just can't throw him out of the window because he will return. You have to okay. sell him. And in most folk tales, you have to sell him for a smaller amount of money than you yeah, used to buy him. Yes. And that's quite hard because if you say something like, ah, yeah, I just want $5 or something like that for it, other people would say, oh, that's quite cheap. I'm not sure if that's really a good deal. Or maybe just $2. <laughs> I can do a really good deal. So um, in the end, people will end up going to a priest and uh, 
in most folktales, this priest will then help them to get rid of the money man, and uh, in the end, they're back to the church. Yeah. So in the wow. end, it turns out good for everyone most of the time, uh, and especially for the church. The church, yeah. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> the, again the church. Thing. It's always yeah. the church because they yeah. had a big influence. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I think. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> That that is just it's interesting to me because uh, Mandrake appears in the Harry Potter stories. The story yeah. of, the story about mm. trying to get rid of a thing that gives you money is such classic folklore. And then yeah. there's mm-hmm. another story in here about giving an elf or giving a house spirit clothing a cobalt. Yes. It's giving a cobalt clothing frees it of its obligations. So it's it, and that's directly referenced in the Harry Potter books as it's well. A, but it's not a cobalt. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a dwarf or wichtel. Dwarf. Okay, thank you. Because we have to differentiate between these two. Um, maybe maybe is, is that okay to to describe the difference between these quite similar looking species? Yes, we want our listeners sure, to be yeah. informed so they know what they're looking at. What exactly? <laughs> it's good. So know a cobalt. As I as I said earlier, is some kind of ancient family spirit. Most of the time, it's male because the leader of the house were male back in the days, and uh, they always single appearing creatures. There are never two kobolds at one time, or at least there are really, really, really small amount of folk tales on that. So normally, if you look at the broader scale, there's only one cobalt per household and if you move from one house to the other it will follow because it's connected to you and your family mm. the dwarfs wichtel or heinzelmännchen on the other side are spirits of the mountains or spirits of the earth and they come into the household with a bunch of guys and girls and then they help you in the household and this is the uh, some kind of yeah we have this in in nearly all folklore stories around the world and uh, rowling converted it into the house elves um this typical uh, motive that you have yeah a species of folklore creatures that's working for you and in case you're and most of the time they have really old and uh, destroyed clothes so in german folk tales People who see those creatures uh, often think, ah, they are doing so much good work for us. Let's do some, uh, let's uh, yeah, buy them some small clothes and give them to them as a present. And if you do that, they will just say, okay, thank you very much. And yeah, go away mm-hmm. because you yeah, paid them in some way. And with a payment, they finish their work. We're running out of time, and I, I hate it because I really enjoy talking about this stuff. But let's talk a bit more about your art. Can you talk about the both the model work that you do and how you do it, which I know you cover in the book, and a little bit about the photography as well? Yeah. Um, at the beginning, there's always uh, really doing research on the folklore creatures because I want to depict and create my my figures really based on the historical descriptions on these creatures because most modern art depicting folklore is often not really related to the old folk tales. If you really deep 
uh, dig deep into the old tales. That's why I do really a lot of research before, and I have a colleague, Janine Pisarek. She's a folklorist. Uh, she's working with me on that. So we're really going into libraries and searching on the internet really long for these historical evidence. And then I start to use polymer clay or other materials, natural and uh, non-natural materials to, to create these creatures. And after this, my uh, photographer, Hannah Gritsch, uh, gets to the point that she can create all these amazing pictures. And therefore, we go to historical sites, into forests, uh, so that we can place these creatures in places where they would have roamed in the folk tales as well. Yeah. So this is some kind of the procedure. Nice. And thorough. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I just Thank love that uh, using those two different kinds of uh, mediums. It's just beautiful. And I really urge all of our uh, listeners to go out and get a copy of your book because it is, it's definitely the, uh, in terms of topic and just the artwork, the kind of thing that our listeners uh, just love. So hopefully they'll all grab a copy. But we've got one final question, Florian, and we like to ask yeah. all of our guests this. What's your favorite monster? That's really a tough one um, <laughs> because there are so many outside. Uh, but if I had to decide on one, I would choose the dragon, I guess. Uh, not because okay. it's uh, big or mighty or something like that, but because it's a perfect example um, to show and demonstrate people how natural science evolved during the centuries from nature descriptions and uh, mainly copying, coping uh, ancient scriptures to an evidence-based research in the 17th, 18th century. And there are so many different forms of dragons. The typical fantasy depiction of dragons we know is just the tip of the iceberg if you dig into dragon folklore and uh, yeah they are really interesting creatures and there are some dragons especially in the swiss alps for example in in the middle of europe who definitely do not look like the normal fantasy dragon and yeah you really can show amazing stuff uh, on historical point of views with them very neat. great answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you <laughs> So is there anything coming up next? What, do you have any more projects or is just getting this one out the door the big thing right now? Or My my aim is to, to do books and figures of all folklore creatures of the German-speaking area. So the Hausgeister, the household spirits, were the first one. And they were quite small. That was a good thing to start with. The next one will be the fantastical beasts, so the animal creatures of German folklore. Um, there are some typical creatures like unicorns, cockatrice, basilisk, dragon, who made it in it. Mm -hmm. But there are also some quite unique ones who are just known in really, really small parts of Germany inside as well. This book will come out in November. Okay. In German, German language. And we're also working on some more yeah, kind of a fantasy book, some kind of uh, historical fantasy. Um, this will come out in, in October, and it's uh, not with 
pictures but with illustrations and it tells the story of a young myth zoologist who starts a great expedition in AD 62 to preserve folk creatures who are real in this uh, parallel universe from yeah uh, the trains and the whole um, industrialization yeah, come yeah. to Europe. Mm. That's and he started fantastic. this expedition, and I used all the descriptions I, I did research on for, for my other more non-fiction books and projects to transfer them into this kind of fantasy novel. But it's not a novel, just a simple novel, but it's some kind of expedition journal. So you get all your information from different journal entries and also newspaper articles who are put inside, historical pictures mixed with illustrations uh, and drawings of these creatures. And uh, I think that's uh, quite an interesting, interesting other take on folklore creatures so using these folk tales to do some kind of fantasy setting but really close to the folk tales yeah so have to have you back on the show to talk about these other projects too yeah would be nice yeah yeah sounds great (laughs) uh, so an epistolary bestiary that's really neat (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a, maybe it's a little bit like fantastical beasts and where to find them, but a bit more major. So there is no uh, small um, coffin to, to put them all inside. Right, right, so right. Like right. That the, the person who tries to um, to preserve them is, uh, for example, hunting the one of the last unicorns in, in the Harz Mountains in, in Germany. And uh, he's constantly asking himself whether it's a good thing to hunt those mythical creatures and to put them, them for example, in a zoo or something like that because uh, they should roam freely. But people are, yeah, flooding the world. So in some case, uh, it's... It's more like a book on nature conservation, and I'm a nature conservationist from from education, so I put a lot of own um, ideas into it. But by transferring it to a more fantasy style, it's easier to 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 talk about those topics to, yes. to a broader yeah. audience. Absolutely, yeah. that's the yeah. beauty of fiction. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, Florian, thank oh, you so oh. much. Yeah, thank yes. you too for thank having you. me. This was a lot of fun. Great topic. Yeah. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard a discussion with Florian Schaefer about his new book, Hausgeister. A link to that book, which releases at the end of July, but it's available for pre-order now, is in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones, and we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, 
you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Watch out for housegeisters and don't forget to leave them some milk and bread. Been a Monster House presentation. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.